0: Hi, and welcome to RevOps Unboxed, the podcast that dives into the world of revenue operations brought to you by me, Sandy Robinson, in partnership with Revenue Operations Alliance. On this episode of RevOps Unboxed, I speak with Christian Palmer, sales enablement trainer at Riskified. Today, we will discuss the importance of RevOps and enablement working hand in hand. Let's get started. Okay, this is Sandy Robinson. I'm here, your host of RevOps Unboxed. I'm here with Christian Palmer today, and we're gonna be talking about all things revenue enablement and revenue operations. So uh, Christian, really appreciate you being here today. Uh, If you could give me a little bit, a little information about your background, tell us
1: about yourself. No doubt. Thank you, Sandy, for having me. really appreciate the time. so my background uh, is, is very eclectic as far as my work experience and kind of what led me to this point. Um, I would say learning and working with people has been at the forefront of all the work that I've done over the last few years, um, over the last decade for that matter. And initially, um, I kind of got my roots in working with people by working in the hospitality industry, being a server, being a bartender, um, working in retail environments. And um. As I'm sure you you could relate, there's plenty of people that you'll run into in those places. Um, from there, when I had finished my master's degree, um, initially, it was going to be in an academia-type environment where I would be working, so I'd be a teacher, um, and I was very much kind of disenchanted with the standardization that was going on within the public school system at the time. And... Because of that, I felt as though there was a bit of a lack of creativity. Many people in my family are actually in education, whether it's administrative or um, they're they're in a teacher role themselves. And my mother, who's a reading teacher of 35 years, had said, hey, it's maybe not the best time to jump into teaching right now. So kind of shifted my focus away um, and thought, hey, it'd be great to be in a corporate training role. But because I didn't have any industry experience to do so, it was difficult for me to kind of break in. So initially I spent probably around three or four years in the recruitment, third-party staffing industry. Um, During that time, I was both recruiting contract and permanent type of roles. Um, And then after working at a couple of different um, agencies of various sizes and tenure within the US, I uh, moved into a sales trainer role. So I was training the recruiters, at a larger agency with larger growth goals and um that's really where I kind of got my footing within learning development training itself um we had a CRM implementation then an LMS implementation that happened concurrently um, and I saw around hundred people come through the initial onboarding Academy as we had called it back then um, wow. which was a mixture of team-based learning on the desk call coaching um, role-playing things of that nature very classic training style um that all came to a screaming halt when COVID happened, um, <laughs> like my, myself and many others lost our jobs, and um was kind of figuring out what was next for me, and um, I, have, through a mutual connection, was able to jump into a startup, which was a ride-hailing company um, called Kudos, and I was kind of a uh, jack-of-all-trades there. So, um, formally, I was handling all of the learning, but I was also involved with hr operations marketing like pretty much everything that was not finance and um everybody around me were wall street guys so i think like having a perspective for myself that was kind of like fresh new and all those things was um you know good for them and we were able to bring the company from pre-series a to series b during the year and seven months that i was there so things moved very quickly um they ran out of funding. I was one of the few people getting paid that was not doing this on the side. And you know how that goes. I uh, went to a prop tech real estate startup. um, And I worked my way up there. Um, I thought it was a training role, but it really was a inside sales role. And um, I ended up being uh, doing so well there that I became a team lead. I was approached to uh, build up an out Bound sales function within the company that was separate. Um, So we scaled that side of the business from seven individual contributors to 34 with three team leads in six months. Um, So at this point, I was kind of like, man, I feel like I've seen different types of organizations at different stages of growth. And my input here, I think now I have enough wherewithal to be able to like really be an enablement type role. And of course, at the beginning of my career, enablement was not a word. As Sandy, I'm sure you know too, um, that <laughs> now it's become so ubiquitous and everything that a lot of the roles you'll see on LinkedIn are that now. Um, long story short, you know, I I went to a uh fintech firm, um, ended up not being the right fit for me, but now I am at Riskified and I'm the sales enablement trainer. I completely own all of the coaching and delivery of the training modules globally. Um so. That has been very refreshing to be in a larger team that everybody has different functions and different things to bring to the table. Um, Something interesting about me that a lot of people don't know or won't see virtually is I have clubbed thumbs um, on both my thumbs. And um, it's funny, I have a nine month old son, so I'm like examining his thumbs now to see if he has them or not. He doesn't. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's always a chance.
0: Wow! Wow. Okay. So I I am processing here. You have such uh, an an awesome and interesting background and story. So I got a lot of notes here. But jumping back a little bit to you know, starting off in retail and then yep. your degree in education. I mean, what a great foundation for you uh, getting uh, your your master's degree in education um, and and just starting from that side of the fence because a lot of people start. From the sales side or something, and then get into training into enablement. That's kind of my story. Uh, where I just became really passionate about training and uh, you know, teaching salespeople and coaching after doing it myself, uh, where you started on the passion for education side uh and and going through and I think I think both worlds uh, really have a lot of value. Um, but then you know, later on you ended up Doing sales, so like that's pretty awesome as a as an enablement leader uh, because you know we, especially when you're teaching sales training to say like hey I've actually you know grinded it out and done it done it as well. You you said you just going into startup ro- world versus uh, larger companies and uh, things like that. Do you want to? to dive in a little bit more to that and some of the the key learnings that you've had maybe we can we can talk about that next
1: yeah certainly so you know i think there there's nuanced differences and every organization is going to be different um some places will say they're a startup but they're probably more in the growth stage um so I always try to t- take that with a grain of salt when I come into a role and try to just be as authentic as I possibly can. But what you tend to find out is, um, when, especially when you're in a startup environment, it is a lot more scrappy and folks are generally going to be relying on you to do things that may or may not be within your remit as an enabler. Now, what is that? I think as in general, this community is still trying to define what enablers really do and what is they full broad spectrum of role responsibilities that they have um when i had gone into a startup i, I very much noticed that creating infrastructure around me was of the utmost importance up front um good example of this was i would have people come and bring requests to me around trainings they would say hey we need a training on i don't know cold calling or something and i say okay great and because i didn't really know and that there was like a a way to kind of formalize the requests that come in and everything. I would just take on every which way training, run them. And then I really wouldn't have anything to show for it thereafter. Mm -hmm. And after thinking about it for a while, it was like, okay, probably need to uncover what a, why are we doing this training and B and probably more important essentially is what metric are we trying to improve and by how much. So, um, After doing that for a little while, we had created like a charter form. And what that would do is kind of query all the requests that came in and funnel them into a priority list for me. So I knew what I needed to be spending time on. That was outside of kind of the main pillars of being brought into the role.
0: Did you work with like other people in your organization on the charter and get alignment on it and how you work with it?
1: Yes. um, Some people utilized it some utilized it better than others Mm -hmm. um you know I I won't sit here and say everyone was like butterflies and rainbows about it some people continued (laughs) to request things the same way um but for the most part you know there would be people that would that would come fill out the form accordingly and then when I had a conversation with them it was a lot more insightful about what my ability was going to be and what their collaboration with me would be on it um The folks that never filled it out were the ones that kind of wanted me to do everything for it without any input from them, which is fine, but it's not going to be as punchy or powerful.
0: Yeah, you're like, that's not the kind of enabling. We're not enabling bad behavior, right? (laughs) It's a different kind of enabling, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and, that, and that's something to, I'm glad you brought that up too, because it's almost like you you have to find a way to enable your stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And one of the startups that I was at was I had around a dozen stakeholders that I needed to appease. And it was whether it was a sales or a customer success or somebody who was in RevOps, um, they all had differing needs and they all had differing understandings of what enablement is, and mm-hmm. um, some people thought that I was merely a coach. Some people thought that, hey, this is our trainer. Some other people thought, hey, he's kind of here to help with all the project management and all the operational things. And because of my experience, I've been able to kind of touch all of those different areas. And I'm very much a jump in feet first type of person. Um, the role I'm at now, I've been at for about a month, and it's actually refreshing in a way because they're all like, hey, slow down, make sure you learn the material, learn the product first, and then go into it. And uh I appreciate that. I'm obviously eager, <laughs> right. but you know, um, it's all for good reasons. So yeah, I mean, like if it's like a corporate company, um, typically enablement is more understood from the top down. Um, mm-hmm. and there is alignment on initiatives that are company initiatives that involve enablement. So the team I'm on now, um, we have a person who's focused just on content, we have somebody who's focused just on project management. Um, there's a person or my manager is really just focused on sales readiness and all of us coming, coming together with our different experiences, I think is a lot more powerful and um, justifiable from a business standpoint to keep enablers in the business Um, rather than when you go into the startup, it's kind of like, it's an all hands on deck type Hmm, of thing.
0: So did you guys have like a a process in, in working together then if you're each uh, satisfying a different, almost piece of the playbook, if you will.
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, the biggest areas of collaboration are probably when a new tool comes into play. Um, And for instance, right now we're switching CMSs and that in and of itself presents different types of conversations that need to be had, not only with that CMSs team internally, but also between us. How are we going to use the CMS for training and delivery, which would be like something I'm going to be focusing on? How are we going to make sure the sales team is ready to use it up front? How are we going to integrate it with our current tech stack? And, um, you know, different people on the team kind of can offer different opinions and um, advice on how best to kind of implement something, which can be an arduous task, especially for one person. Um, So it is very collaborative and um, we're not siloed off by any means. We certainly do. We'll meet regularly and um, help each other out with certain things and people can, lean on each other if for say somebody's out on vacation or somebody's sick can't make it so um everybody on my team is able to do training and delivery so
0: see that's that's great so it sounds like you're you're working together even in the selection process and as you're getting into onboarding with whatever the new tech is that you're you're a not just a hey we got this new tool, now go figure out how to train people on it. You're really involved in the process uh, up front.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think, like, having, making sure that the learner's experience is at the forefront of, like, what we're trying to accomplish is so key. Um, There's been so many times where, like, certain people are owning certain parts of onboarding and you don't necessarily know, you know, How well is this translating to what a learner is going to see? Maybe somebody thinks, oh, we'll have a senior leader run this training. um, And that may work when there's like 25, 30 employees. But when there's 150, it's a little bit different, you know. And I think transitioning probably from where everyone's kind of doing all of these things and manager-led trainings and everything to having a function handle it is a bit of a sore point for a lot of orgs.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think getting getting from that mindset of I have to do it all myself to I actually can leverage the expertise of this person. And now that you have bandwidth or in a larger uh, organization, uh, you're able to do it, but really just having that scrappy skill set to be able to kind of, you know, be the Barney Fife of your organization and startup is really, it's really huge, but it, it, I think also forces you to jump in and really learn it all. Like you can't, you can't be hide behind the curtain, right. Uh, In this role, you have to really, like you said, you get in, you're learning the products, you're doing it. You're with these guys. Um, uh, And I think that also builds trust and credibility. Uh, As a, a salesperson myself, when there were trainers, Back then they were called trainers, uh, not, yeah. you know, enablement was kind of new. It, I don't even think it was called anything like that. At the time, it was just like, there's the sales trainer. And right. it it was always so much better when they got what you did. At least they were in touch with the business. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they had to have a sales background, but it did help if they got it right, or they had a little bit of that sales grit, or they you know, at least spend a year like you did, you know, kind of grinding out some calls or, you know, making it happen. It it gave, it gave a little bit there, but um, so just, I think getting that experience in a startup environment is great uh, for a lot of folks that are in roles, wanting to get into sales enablement, rev ops, uh, whatever it is, because you, you do have a broad kind of experience and then uh, you can build that up. So um, so tell me tell me a little bit about like your experience with working with RevOps teams and you know, I don't know if you have any uh, any stories. It sounds like you have a, a good one around the tech selection. So that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, I think I think a lot of people listening to the call might be jealous that you you have that good of a process together. But um, you know maybe maybe you can share some stories around that and just uh, kind of the partnership with enablement and RevOps.
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, understanding what the goals are of the business and aligning on those with the RevOps person is most important. We both have different duties and remits. And in a lot of organizations, Enablement does fall under RevOps. Um, I had a RevOps person at my last company. He's fantastic. Um, and I think in particular, I probably should have been underneath him from a, <laughs> a leadership standpoint. And um, other, other than that, I think what we did really do effectively in the beginning was say, okay, where are the cracks within the business right now? And how do those line up or correspond with the goals that we're trying to get across for this year or for this half of the year? And what we found is that, The instilling a culture shift, meaning like, for instance, um, turning an organization into a cold calling organization is very, very difficult when it's not a call first type of place. Um, We rely really heavily on these tools like outreach, sales loft, phenomenal tools, but they can become a bit of a crutch at times when you're getting good results from them and you actually less are, how do I phrase this, your aptitude for being able to kind of overcome objections, pivot when necessary, all those things that you learn from cold calling and kind of getting in there and getting no a billion times. um, That's tough to learn. And a particular part of this organization that I was at, we had a team that was a partnerships team, and the business was really leaning on them to kind of create the majority of the revenue um, that would be coming into the business. And obviously, this part of the organization was doing very very well um they had scaled quickly there was one manager and probably around a half or probably a dozen individual contributors um they had some middle level managers that were doing both contributor efforts as well as management um that presented its own challenges um but i think what they did not have was metrics from an activity standpoint how do we know the things that they're doing on the day in and day out is going to produce the revenue that we want at the end of the day or whatever, the projected revenue up front. So understanding with my RevOps guy, okay, how can we delineate this data, put it into a digestible format, um, you know, whether it's like Tableau or BI or whatever, have that be in a you know somewhat illustrated but easy to take in information that both the manager can filter and look through and they don't really have to think about it and also the reps are able to go in there and do the same thing on their own and a lot of the times you had to like go through different obstacles like folks saying hey i'm not going to manually go put in a an event that i did into salesforce right um that does take extra time logging every single call as an activity can take time right um but understanding that, hey, if I do these activities over and over again, I'll be able to get more insight for what I could be working better on and kind of showing the value in, hey, these may be some extra steps and it may take a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, you're going to be able to derive more information and take on more um, feedback that you previously probably were not able to see. So kind of getting the team behind it And making sure that the manager is also echoing a lot of the things that we say and reinforcing it, especially when we're not in the conversations, helps kind of bridge the gap between, hey, there's a change that needs to be made here. We got to start tracking these things that we were not tracking previously before. And, you know, that's obviously what everyone's seeing from the outside. But like the inner workings are, oh, my God, this metric is being pulled from here and it's not necessarily pulling the right information. What are we doing wrong here? Are These tools corresponding to each other. So there's a lot that goes in there. Um, And certainly, you know, working with a great revenue operations person will allow me to kind of effectively understand, okay, how am I going to enable on something like this? And what maybe other types of enablement will be derived from the insights that we see from this over time?
0: Right. I mean, and there's there's so many mutually beneficial outcomes to that, right? Like, if you're working together with the RevOps team, as you mentioned, deciding on, okay, what is what is the outcome? What's the objective for this particular project? And then as you yep. said, those activities uh, and then partnering with, okay, well, where do those live? Where do we get the report? I mean, that that all really comes hand in hand. And I think that is so critical for RevOps and enablement, regardless of the reporting structure, where I, when I talk to people, where I hear there are more challenges is if the function is completely in a different silo. So let's say revenue operations is in the revenue org and enablement is under HR. That's when you start to have problems with objectives and outcomes because the sales team is going to sit under the revenue org and their objectives are different they're going to be tied to metrics versus just you know maybe maybe they're different different outcomes and different goals under a different function so it becomes more challenging doesn't mean it's impossible but so whether or not it reports to the actual rev ops person or at least within the same Kind of broader umbrella, I think, is helpful because it's just easier to have that conversation and alignment. Um, Otherwise, it it needs to be a higher level conversation. Uh, I'm wrapping up my master's degree in global training and development, and one of the projects I just recently did was a full training evaluation program where you are across the org aligning on metrics at a higher level to say, okay, we are putting resources into this if it is a big hold call, you know, change of whole mindset, where it's requiring business transformation, these sort of things really need to be aligned at an executive level um, to say, okay, these are the outcomes and we will work together to get the training and the tools and everything. Um, but I think as you say, that's, that's probably in a much bigger organization versus a startup. So it becomes a little easier when you're working in a startup, I think.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And congratulations on that.
0: No, oh, thanks. Yeah, May. <laughs> Next month. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Thank you. I think that there's a lot of value in, in what you would set around, like, getting the alignment from the stakeholders. And probably, like, one of the big things that I try to do up front is build relationships with those people. Because especially the sales leaders, um, VP and below the directors, the middle level managers of the world, like, those are the folks that really need the most help. And either from their own individual development standpoint, which is a form of enablement I can help them with, but also for their reps, how are we going to bridge the gap between maybe what the reps are have zero visibility of, which is the senior leadership, to what I'm on all these cross-functional meetings, how can I be the liaison between these things and help people understand the perspectives of others? And that comes into play quite a bit when it's like a data marketing, um, you know, sales or product, you know, like all of these teams need to communicate. And traditionally, they don't.
0: Yeah, no, fair point, fair point. But your charter, I mean, that really helps, right? Because at the end of the day, get the commitment, you follow the thing that's objective, right? And keep everybody accountable, I think is I think it's what's what's important. So whether your org is small, or large, having that having that alignment, uh, whether or not it's in your particular silo or, or outside of it. Uh, so this man, we, I could talk to you like all day on this stuff. We may need to, we may need to connect again. Uh, but you know, as we wrap up here, I would love for you to leave everybody with, uh, some, some tips or your, your words of wisdom, uh, that people can walk away with and, and really, uh, you know, start to think about or use.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I'm gonna try not to be cliche or corny here, but I really do believe in this first part that I'm gonna say. Um, so I have a bunch of tattoos, but the first one that I got, I was uh 23. My mom told me, wait, if you really want to get this tattoo, wait and make sure it's something that you want for years. I waited years. Um, the quote is live as if you're to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever. Okay. And I do live my life like that. No, I'm not like jumping off a plane every day, but like I think. Learning and with that perspective is so so important. Whatever it is you're doing, if you want to be in an enablement, if you um, don't know how to get there, really master the role that you're in currently. Whether that's in HR, marketing, you're um, maybe in a product role, whatever it may be, make sure that you really are owning that and then helping your team members around you. Um, a lot of what got me forayed right into a sales trainer position was leveling up my teammates. I wasn't a manager. Um, they had managers, but I was helping them develop when I had the opportunity to do so. And very impromptu coaching and formal chats, like things like that would help people feel support. And, um, I think overall it's, it's less about, you know, the destination that you're trying to get to and more about like really, um, absorbing all the different roles that you're in and making them kind of a cumulative part of your experience. Um, seems like nowadays people are less focused in general on like career growth and it's more about my combination of experiences. And um, very much early on, I would get asked all the time, hey, how come you're jumping You know, from this role to this role? You're staying at this place for a year and a half. And the, you know, obviously there are some circumstances where they're out of my control, like a layoff or something like that. But a lot of the times you could argue hey, I think my experience of being able to hit the ground running in these different organizations and really make an impact in them in a short period of time is a testament, you know, to what is able to be accomplished if you kind of just go all in. Um, Build relationships with the people that are around you. Build relationships with stakeholders that are either your manager or outside or cross-functional to your manager. And be sure that, If an opportunity does arise within your organization to go into an enablement type role you raise your hand and you show them why um that's honestly the best advice i can give you a lot of people are going to say hey go into sales i mean sandy we both did that right i mean it is a, a good precursor to being able to do this role and yes it helps when i'm able to relate to a rep and say hey yeah you know i've dealt with this before come here you know and like those types of things are valuable Um, but you can still learn a lot of those skills in different ways. So maximize where you are now, have a goal in mind, start inserting yourself into these communities, um, Slack groups. You can find them all over the place. They're starting to pop up now and start to see what other enablement folks are talking about and create a portfolio. Um, Having trainings on deck, having materials that you can always pull from, whether that's for an interview um, or it's just to say, Hey, like, I could be a resource in this way, or I have a repository of materials will show true, true value.
0: Wow. I, I think you should make a roadshow of just that last section. I mean, this is such great advice uh, in enablement or really just approaching any role. Uh, I I just love that idea of, uh, of being all in and you know you're you're truly a student and a teacher, and I think that is that is amazing. Uh, great advice, and I really appreciate you being on the show today. And I uh, look forward to continuing to uh, network and collaborate and connect. Uh, so thanks for coming today, Christian.
1: Absolutely, Sandy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to RevOps Unboxed, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.